Do you learn the most when you succeed or is it from your failures? And it's really interesting if you examine the experiences you've had in the past that you've learned the most from. I know that mine have been from the biggest mistakes, have come the biggest achievements. And that is what this episode is all about. What can you learn? The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So today's episode, I have with me Michael Redford. Hello, Michael. Hi, Alan. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Uh, I'm in Leipzig in Germany, hiding from coronavirus and becoming creative. What about you? I wish I could have the same sort of lifestyle. I'm in soggy Salford in Manchester, very much hiding from coronavirus as well, though. So we're we're similar in that respect. (laughs) And this seems like the time to get creative, to start learning and to work out what to do next. And you've had some experiences this year with launching businesses, haven't you? Yeah, I, I think at the time I probably didn't know they were businesses. Um, I think I was probably thinking they were a solution to my work-life balance, perhaps. But yeah, I think now in hindsight, I can call them businesses. Well, your aim to, was to make money. Was I incorrect about that? No, no, no. The first business that we did, which was like a, a small video production business, was definitely to make money. And when that became very hard and we took it for granted that we'd be able to make money easily... We then went to a a sort of charitable kind of uh, organization with the hope of creating money in the future, but we never quite got to that stage. Interesting. So let's go right back to the beginning. You're in a job, you enjoy what you do. What was the job you were doing? Uh, So I was a sports production. So I, I was a sports TV producer, basically. Now that sounds like a cool job. It is a cool job. Yeah, it's, um, I was very settled. I was down in London. Um, I had my own flat. It was all very nice and working for a, a reputable organization. So yeah, it was, a, it was a cool job. So what made you want to start your own thing? I think whatever line of work you're in, and it completely depends on your personality, but I tend to get bored quite easily. I once said that in a job interview and it's no wonder that I never got the job. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a good thing. Um, And what I found was that we were working in, although the news changes and the events changes, the day-to-day work didn't. And so I got to a, a reasonably good level, I thought, where I was trusted with a lot of responsibility. And it just became a bit mundane for me. And I thought, as you do in certainly British society, that that means, right, you go for a promotion and you climb the ladder and you take on more responsibilities. But I went for a job and I didn't even get the interview, which in hindsight, I totally understand why, because my attitude was all wrong. It was clear that I didn't really want to be there, but I thought that was the solution. And in fact, that was the straw that broke the camel's back and and told me, right, I need to change and I need to get out and I need to make something happen for myself. Interesting. I love that. So out of boredom came the motivation to get out there and do your own thing. Yeah. Where did you go from there? So again, pure fate. We had a new member of staff about six months before this happened and she was put with me to train. And within about six months, she'd also been very successful away doing her own thing in in journalism. And we just got talking and, and we seemed to have a lot of things in common. And we mentioned that it might be possible to collab together and and get something off the ground. And so with my boredom and her, I would say dissatisfaction, I think, or maybe just she felt a little bit let down, maybe was sold a job that wasn't quite what she thought it was going to be. We teamed up 
and we thought we could put our journalistic skills to the mass market and, and bring a bit of positivity at the same time. I love that. And you launched Peak Video, which was a video production company. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Probably too much time spent on the name more than anything, but uh, we were really <laughs> proud of Peak. And yeah, so we launched Peak Video and that was, a, as you say, a small production company in which we felt our niche was the journalistic element. So rather than just churning out the same marketing content that you see for business to business, we actually went and used our journalistic background to talk to people and to find out their story and hopefully tell the story of the business owner as well as the product. And how did it go? How did you start? What did you do? So we, from listening to your podcast, Alan, I'm now aware we made all the usual mistakes, but uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> They're usual for a reason. We've all done it. <laughs> so we got to work on a name. Uh, we got to work on a website. We got to work on signing up with Companies House and registering ourselves as a business, all of which um, splashing cash, essentially. And we sat down and we put a list together of yearly targets and what we wanted to do at three months, six months, nine months, and a year. And then we kind of just went out and thought, right, well, for people to take us seriously, we're going to need a portfolio. So let's get three trials. And that was our starting point. And uh, we got Namisha, who was my partner. We got her friend who was starting her own bakery cooking class and is still going today, Sorrel. She's very successful, Sorrelinas. And we made a video for her. And that was Bluntly, it was horrendous. Like I, I edit video for a living <laughs> and yet with cameras and lighting and editing it all myself, it was just a completely different ball game and, and way more than I read, uh, anticipated. So much so that we went and did the shoot again because I got the footage back on my computer and I was like, we cannot put this out. This is awful. And then we managed to get a dog outfitters on board and they were our best client. And at that point, we did the video for them, did the interview with them and sent it to them and they loved it. And... Uh, it's still on their website today. And we thought we've cracked this. We're away. So much so that we didn't really push for a third trial. We just thought that's it. We're away. We've got a brilliant couple of videos under our belt. Admittedly, we uh, got a freelancer videographer on board because I just simply couldn't do it. And um, and we got to work and, and um, it doesn't go much further than that, Alan, unfortunately. So where was, like, you know, the question in my head, where's sales in this? Where are we selling stuff? Because it sounds like you've done a huge amount of work and not sold anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, which in hindsight, you go, that's so obvious. But at the time we thought, okay, get the trials. We've got this trials. We've got this uh, dog outfitters video that everyone we showed was like, this is really good. This is a, a slick product. And so our idea was to then hit a market any market, you know, no particular target in mind and say, look, we can talk to you. We can show a real personal side to your business by letting us interview you. Between us, we have around a decade of journalistic experience. We want to tell positive stories. Let us create some content for you at a price. We'd done no research really, aside from a quick Google to make sure there was nothing else like this. And there wasn't on page one of Google. So we thought, well, we found a niche. Brilliant. And um, we had no pricing structure. So really, we were just sort of working on, would someone take us? And if they take us, okay, then we'll have a look at trying to make a, a pick a price out of thin air that would cover both the freelance videographer and our time and effort. Interesting. So you've done the trial for the dog firm and you got that out there. Did you then go, okay, let's go to every other dog business out there? Yeah, for one day. Um, so... <laughs> Namisha was very driven in, um, we should target the dogs, which I thought made a lot of sense as well. But I was constantly obsessed with 
turning people away. I thought, how can we turn people away? We've not even got customers yet. So how how is it possible to say no to people? So we spent a day researching and contacting every single small, medium and large dog outfitters that expanded to dog food, dog toys, veterinary uh, services. And I probably emailed about, I don't know, 100 between the two of us in that day. We got off the top of my head, six responses, five of which said, thanks, but no thanks. One said, this sounds interesting. Let's chat. We chatted. I picked a price out of thin air and we didn't hear from them again. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, uh, we said, let's just target the mass market. And that's what we did. And we, we were just very sporadic. Is that the right word that, you know, we were very sort of Spraying and praying is the best way to put it. We from one day we had one idea, then we said let's target young and upcoming entrepreneurs, and we can help them, and they can help us. We can speak to small startup businesses, we can speak to larger business, and we just went round and round the houses uh, with no plan. Now, in hindsight, we we didn't really have a plan. We were just hoping someone somewhere would say, "I'll take this," and we thought that would be our breakthrough. So, there's something I'd love to highlight for the audience from what you said, which is. The bit where you said, if we only focus on the dog outfitters, we're saying no to everyone else. And that was exactly the mistake I made when I was starting out. And I think it's a mistake that so many entrepreneurs make. And it's to do with this thing called niche, or if you're American, niche marketing. The idea is you pick a sole small market to go for. And the fact you'd done a dog outfitters firm and produced a video, it was really smart to go after all the other firms. Really smart. But that feeling of, I'm saying no to all this other business, but there'll be way more in the mass market, is exactly what I had when I was launching my training business. Is What are you doing telling me to niche market? I need to be selling to everyone. I need to get out there. I need to build a big business. I need to do this. Yeah. And the thing I've realized over the years is you can't be famous for everything. You just you can't go and be famous in every industry. And it's about getting known in one or two industries. And where I really started to get traction in my training business was when I focused just on housing associations or just on tech companies. And I would get famous around that one or two bits. And I think the bit for everyone listening to this and for you and me to be reminded of is that if you pick a niche market, it doesn't mean you say no to everything else. If you pick dog outfitters, that doesn't mean when you have a tech company come to you and say, produce me video, you say no. It just means when you're doing your outbound marketing, when you're selling stuff, that's the market you focus on. And what was your experience of going out to sell to the mass market, Michael? Uh, Very limited, really. I'm not sure I left my home to do it. It was all from behind a keyboard, from an email. I'm not... In fact, I won't even lie to you, Alan. I never got on the phone. It was all email out of pure (laughs) fear of saying, hello, I have a product that I think you'd like. I just didn't do it. And the thought, and and, you know, if anyone had said to me, just call them. My my girlfriend now is still the same. She's like, I'll just give them a ring and I will not do it. It's horrendous. And it was the same with this as well. So it was pure emails. I didn't talk to anyone in person. Even the, the company that said, this sounds interesting. Let's have a chat. It was all done over email even though there was a phone number there. I see. So when they said to you, let's have a chat, you just emailed them back with some ideas. Correct. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) If you could see my face, it's wincing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, sadly, I can believe that. 
Uh, I completely understand this. When I started, I was petrified of making phone calls. It was actually one of the most painful things for me was making those phone calls and I would do anything to avoid it. And I did get a mentor early on in my training business that said the only way to win business, business to business is to get on the phone and ring people. That is your tool of choice. And you might send them an email to get introductions. You might email them a couple of times, but if you don't phone them, nothing's going to happen. And he really, really pressed me to make the phone calls. Did anyone press you, Michael? Or is this actually something you're still working on? Um, well, no, not not working on in terms of, of peak video, really. That's sort of gone very dormant. But no one pressed us. I think Namisha and I were both very sort of uh, independent and had this belief in ourselves that while we may not be able to do it alone, we could do it together and we didn't need anybody else. Now, that wasn't a, we weren't willing to take help on board. We just had, I think we had this real idealistic image that we'd got out of um, a job that had, you know, potentially reached the end of the road. And we were going to be these heroic people that had got out, started their own businesses and could egotistically go, look at me, this is what happens if you get out of the day-to-day uh, -day life of the rat race, if you like. And so we never went looking for help either. When we thought, oh, we're having a bad day here, or this is not really going right, we'd chat to each other and then we'd we'd sort of motivate each other, which was great, but there, there was never a, a solution or a helping hand anywhere. Interesting. Yes. And I know when I became insular at the start of my business, I would focus on the stuff within my control, which is important to do. But the stuff that was in my control when I started was building a website, writing a marketing plan, doing some social media, sending some emails. I never went out of my comfort zone at those stages. And that's where I ended up being stuck because actually, and I know we've said this a lot on the podcast, it's something I'd love everyone to hear again. Everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you'd already have it. And that's exactly what I did. And it sounds like it's what you did as well. You stayed with inside your comfort zone, sending some emails, connecting with people, but didn't step outside. 100%. I could not agree with that statement more. And it's something that I've still had to work with now, six months on, um, is that it's only when you, you step away and look back and go, I was so comfortable there. I was turning up. I had my rotor. I had my, my regular income and I had a job that I knew I could do to a good level, I thought. And it was only when questions were asked of you and you had to potentially have maybe a tough conversation or you had to push yourself that little bit more that I completely shied away from that. And that was a real shock to me to discover that with myself because I've always thought of myself as quite a go-getter and quite, a, you know, a get things done. And actually, I, I sort of looked back and thought, wow, that's not what I've been doing at all. I just sort of emailed. And probably, Alan, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I kind of hope they don't email back because I don't know what I'm going to do if they do. <laughs> yes. What if they write back? What if they want me to do this? Yeah. And so actually, I could sit there and say to Namisha or say to who anybody who asked, oh, yeah, I've emailed 100 people. And that was amazing. And sadly, no one's got back in touch. But actually, if they did, I think I'd, I'd have been even more scared because I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you're doing the work and you can feel productive, but actually you're not going anywhere and that's a good thing. Yeah. I think I've been there as well when I started exactly the same thing. Uh, so you then went on to launch a podcast, didn't you, and some different bits afterwards? Yeah. So then coronavirus hit and 
we had the conversation and again at this point I'd moved away from London I'd come up north and so me and Amisha were chatting over the phone over WhatsApp occasionally meeting in Northampton which was the halfway point there was one cafe in particular that got a lot of our service over the last six months <laughs> and uh, and again it was all about being productive and we we refused to let peak die in that we refused to quit on it. We thought it was a good name, a good brand, even a color scheme, the amount of money we'd put into it, you know, from websites to domain names to even setting up our own address at a fake office. So we looked like we had a location and and all this stuff. And we just couldn't have the conversation with each other going, I don't know what we're doing with this and I don't know where we're going. And then coronavirus hit and we had this opportunity and all this free time because both of us were out of work. Um, having both worked in sports, sports stopped. So we did too. And we were like, right, let's go all guns blazing into this and let's make sure we can get this back up and running. I think what we should do is go back to basics. We did this to tell people's stories, to be positive. And now is a perfect time to be positive with this horrendous virus working its way around the world. So we we decided to launch Peak Positivity on the same website as Peak Video. And what we did was track down people via social media who are doing good things and, and brilliant things and, and just wanted to talk to them and chat to them. And so we had Zoom, Skypes, FaceTimes with a variety of people and told their story, which included writing blogs and editing the, the interviews together to make a short little video edit. That then led into a podcast and we started producing episodes for that. And then we started doing short teasers and and it was really gathering pace. And, and actually that was going very, very well and taking up a lot of our time, which was great because we enjoyed it. And then the money question arose again, because all of a sudden for us to take this to the next level, we would have to dedicate even more time to it. And we weren't sure how to, one, we weren't sure how to expand and level up. And two, we weren't sure how to monetize it when really the concept of the business, if you can call it that, is just feel good. We just wanted to talk to people and tell their stories. So we weren't, there were a number of things we weren't sure on and without really ever discussing it, we both let it die away. So it just kind of fell away. You just kind of stopped doing it because you thought, well, I don't know where the money's coming from and the energy just slipped away. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we, we got to a point sort of June, July where work started to pick up again and, and letting people back in the office and money sort of dictates everything. And, and we both, you know, had bills and mortgages to pay. And we said, look, I'd love to do that interview or I'd love to, I've got to edit that. But look, I'm in, I'm in the office four days this week. So it's going to be Saturday at the earliest. And, and then that impacts your, your personal life and uh, both of our partners, you know, then feel the brunt of that. And, and so, yeah, without ever really being truthfully honest with each other and saying, I don't have the time for this. We sort of just let it die until both of us didn't talk about it anymore. So it sounds like you didn't just do a mini experiment. You did a fairly big experiment with a couple of different types of businesses that didn't go quite where you wanted it to. I guess my question is, and we've talked about this, my question is, what did you learn? And I would love to go through your lessons because if we can share these lessons and pull out what you've learned from these experiments, it will help you to work out what you're going to do next and use the learning you've got to do that. And it'll help everyone listening to this podcast to avoid making the same mistakes and to learn those lessons and to be able to make more progress. And that ultimately is the most important thing we can do from anything that happens is learn from it. So what did you learn, Michael? What did you learn from this? What would you do differently next time? That's a very good question with many different answers. Um, I think there are a variety of things I've learned. Most probably importantly was not to look for a quick fix. That would be my first thing. 
I came straight out of university and went into this job. And so I didn't really know anything in London. I thought, and I was, I was going to say, I thought I was doing really well, which uh, sounds a little bit arrogant and I don't mean it like that, but I was sort of ticking the boxes that I needed to tick or felt that I needed to tick. And so I'd never really thought about changing jobs. I thought I was going to be in this career for life. So when that started to change and I started to have these feelings of wanting change, I wanted a quick fix. And I would now very much understand that that quick fix doesn't lead to any success. There needs to be a plan in place. There needs to be an understanding of what you're trying to achieve and there needs to be targets to hit. And I think a lot of these things that I've learned probably all cross with each other. I think there's a lot of overlap and it all comes to to putting the right plan in place initially. So number one, there are no quick fixes. And building a business takes time. It takes energy. You're exactly right. And if you go out thinking, I'm going to make a hundred grand this week, it's probably not going to happen. I've tried. (laughs) I did exactly the same thing. I'm "I'm going to go out there in the world. My target is make a hundred thousand pounds. And yeah, that didn't happen very quickly. And I think there's a sort of subset of the lesson you've got here that I would love to discuss is it depends on what you're doing. If you're building a content type business, that takes time to build an audience. So if you're doing a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, the quickest I've seen it done is six months to a year, but that can be a multi-year process of building up that blog, building up that podcast, building up your YouTube channel before you can get to a level of audience that will allow you to monetize. That's very different to selling a service or selling a product. And actually your first business with peak video, that could have led to quicker profits because you've actually got something to sell. You're going out to a real business, you're selling, I can add real value to your business now. Will you pay me to do this for you? That's a quicker way to generate money, but it still might take you two, three, four months to get those first clients lined up, get them paying, get the cash coming in. I think this, there is no quick fix, but you picked a couple of particularly slow businesses to work on, I think. Yeah, which is really interesting to listen back to and and understand that because I think at the time, certainly after we did the dog outfitters, I think me and Namisha pretty much got a bottle of champagne out and celebrated the fact that we were on our way to becoming millionaires. We thought we'd done it and that just wasn't the case. And and when, I don't think we were short-sighted in thinking it would take a long time, but I think we went with all the cliches that, you know, oh, by year two, you might make a bit of money. But I think it was more the lack of interest. And and that comes down to another lesson I've learned in terms of not having any kind of marketing. We put ourselves on social media and that was pretty much it. Oh, and we made some hoodies as well, because apparently that's how you strum up business. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a really nice hoodie. I'm very proud of it. And I wear it around the house in the winter. But apart from that, it's not led me to any business. Uh, which I guess that's lesson two, isn't it? Is the lack of the scale of marketing. And it always comes back to one of my favorite sayings that uh, has infected popular culture, which is, if you build it, they will come, uh, which is Field of Dreams or Wayne's World. And it's the biggest lie out there. If you build it, no one will come unless you promote it and push it and get it in front of people and sell it. And it sounds like you built it shared it and then waited and not much else yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) then there's the big pause is the business coming and i did exactly the same don't get me wrong i put my website out there i was so proud i'd hit publish and then i was like will they come where are they are they coming are they coming yet and then like a week goes by and you're like okay what do i do now they're still not coming 
yeah. two weeks goes by and you do stuff to keep busy, but it just doesn't come. And I think it's the size and the scale of the marketing and sales activity that at the point you press launch, that's where you've got to go big and talk to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are two things with that. When people didn't come, although we probably wouldn't admit to this at the time, it was everybody else's fault. It wasn't our own. And we were like, why are they not coming? We've got this great product. Why would you not want to sell your your business and give an interview and show the person behind the business? It's a great idea. And and actually, whether it is a great idea or not is irrelevant because no one ever knew about it because we never spoke about it. <laughs> so it's not anybody's fault at all. It's only our own fault for not talking about it. And I don't know if that was I don't know if that was an egotistical thing that we were like, it's not ready yet. It's not ready. When it's ready, we'll launch and we'll, we'll have an, uh, one of the things actually on our targets when we made the targets at the start of the year was nine months in, we need to have a launch event and we need people to come and we'll rent out a London space and we'll have, you know, waiters with glasses of champagne walking around. I honestly don't know who we thought we were, Alan, looking back, but um, <laughs> that was a target because we thought that was the way you did it. And so, yeah, so absolutely, we didn't market, we didn't talk, and we weren't, I was going to say we weren't proud of it. Between the two of us, we were very proud of it. But uh, to everyone else, there was a real sort of feeling of, it's not ready yet, we can't tell people. Isn't that interesting? So lesson one was, there is no quick fix. Lesson two is, if you don't shout about it, no one's going to come and buy from it. What else did you learn along this process? I always have a little smirk to myself on the podcast when you say um it takes money to make money and speculate to accumulate so my third lesson by country mile was we thought money would solve everything and namisha was very good at sending me content and sending me props ideas editing software and saying what do you think about this should we get this oh it's only 20 quid it's only 20 pounds yeah go on it's fine because in the long run we'll get that back no problem and that probably reached its peak when we had both within Oh, three months as an estimate, probably put in about a thousand pounds each, which for us is a lot of money. And I think for most people, it's a lot of money. And that was sort of a, an alarm bell that we were saying, okay, we're constantly playing this videographer. We are buying a variety of different camera equipment and microphones and, and not even the best equipment either. You know, we were cutting corners, honestly. And, and even then it still cost us money. And we were just like, this has got to slow down in some way. So money does definitely not solve everything, especially hearing, you know, a lot of the case studies that you've had on this podcast alone and, and what I've read since then, money will definitely not solve everything. Well, it's interesting because when people are launching businesses, the assumption is I need to get money to start. And the business plan is basically who are you going to sell to? What are you going to sell? And make a big list of the stuff you need to buy to get going. And then that will help you work out how much you need so you can borrow it and start. The thing is, the more money you've got, the more money you spend. And starting a business can be a black hole for money. I spent a thousand pounds when I started on Michael on, uh, I bought a logo, letterhead paper <laughs> and compliment slips and business cards. <laughs> oh, business cards. Yes. Yeah. Compliment slips. <laughs> like, What was I going to do? Attach them to checks that I send out to people as I hemorrhage more money when I start up? I couldn't believe it. I ended up throwing them all away. I kept two for the family museum when I launch it one day. <laughs> but yeah, the more money you seem to get at the start, the more money you will spend. And I love that lesson. Money will not solve everything. Actually, bringing in money is the solution and it's the sales. It's the sales. Why do you think you put off 
ringing people and the sales? What's the reason or what was the fear? I think it goes back to comfort zone again. And I think if you put yourself out there and this product that you're so proud of and you're so convinced will work, well, you've only asked your friends and family who are not going to criticize it in any way because they can see how pumped you are to be doing it. And you've got this new lease of life. And I think the realization of ringing someone up and having them say no is a realization that actually this product isn't as good as we think it is. And so that fear of failure and that fear of um, not necessarily a antagonistic conversation, but maybe a difference of opinion being very, very British scared the life out of me. You know, even when we did the dog outfitters, I followed it up and said, hi, can you leave us a review on our social media? It would really help us. And they said, yeah, no problem. And then we didn't hear from them. But the utter uncomfortableness that I felt in chasing them again, which is ridiculous to say I call myself a journalist, um, (laughs) to say, look, I'm really sorry to hassle you, but, but can you do it? It just led to that, that fear and that I just wanted to avoid any confrontation, any bad words, any potential heated discussions. Do you like my product? Amazing. Can you buy it? No, don't worry. Have a lovely day. Like it was just, that was as simple as it got. And if they didn't reply to an email, I didn't even have to have that conversation. So it's definitely fear of failure, I think. So the lesson for us all here, and I think I went through exactly the same thing when I started out, is getting used to asking the uncomfortable question and then sitting in the uncomfortable silence afterwards. And with the dog outfitters, if you rung them up and said, hey, how are you? Is the video working? What's going on? You could have probably asked that and they would have probably said, we said we'd leave you a review, didn't we? And we didn't. Let me get on that. You probably wouldn't have even had to ask the question if you just rung them and had a chat and asked them how it was going. But if you did ring them and then ask the question, oh, you know, you said you'd leave us a review, that would really help. What would be a better question? What would be a better thing for them to do to help you? Looking back at this, what could you have rung them and asked them? I think we were just looking for the word to be spread more than anything. So again, I think it comes down to we wanted something we could touch, something we could see. And a review on a Facebook wall that had about 100 followers, which were mostly our friends and family, actually wouldn't have done that much. But for us, it was something that we could go, look, we've had a customer and there is the review. In hindsight, I think, you know, we should have asked the question of, do you know any other businesses who might need this content or maybe taking it a conversation that way to see if we could spread the word together? I don't know. I think that's lovely because the real way to do this is when you've got that first trial client is to ring them up and say, okay, give me the feedback. You've got the video. Has it worked? What are people saying? Get the stats. Is it helping to convert sales? Really understand whether it worked or not. Then definitely get the testimonial. Can I quote you on that? Can I write that down? And then that's fantastic. I'm so glad it worked. Who else do you think I should speak to about this? Do you have any friends that run businesses? Do you have any other businesses I'd speak to? Can you tell me who I should talk to? And then sitting in the silence. (laughs) Yeah, which I don't do, as you've just found out. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Apologies. I keep ruining those punchlines, Alan. Um, Yeah, it's so, so interesting to hear because not only did we not phone up and say, how is it? We just stood back and, and almost wanted to be applauded. And it's only now that I can talk it through with you that you think, oh, that's so obvious. But we delivered the video. We said, is it okay? Over email, of course. Is it okay? (laughs) And they said yes. And as I say, it still sits on their website today, which is lovely, but we never had those kind of questions even up our sleeve. 
Can I set you a challenge, Michael? Absolutely. Will you ring them for me and ask them, did the video work? What happened? I'm just curious and ask them. Yeah, absolutely. Are you sure? I mean, that fills me with dread, but absolutely. (laughs) I could hear the nerves in your voice. You said absolutely with about as much absolution resolution. (laughs) (laughs) What you don't know, Alan, is I'm frantically looking for their email now while you're talking. No, don't email them. No, ring them. No, I'm going to ring them. I'm going to ring them. (laughs) Cool. You have to let me know what they say, but it would just be interesting. I just think for sake of, even for just sake of closure, having a chat, like we did this video a year ago. Did it work? What happened? How did it go? And I think there's some learning that you can get out of this situation. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So were there any other lessons from this experiment that you're going to take forwards with you? There was, there was so many. Another one that I would flag up is, is not giving enough time for ideas to flourish. As I've sort of alluded to, we had the baking friend who we did a video for. Nothing really came of that. Then we went to dog outfitters. Okay, we'll go after dogs. And even on peak positivity, there were conversations where we said, and, and very much so actually after having spoke to, to Simon and yourself, I had a real inkling to go after businesses. And and I really sort of bought into this idea, probably because I wanted tips myself without really admitting it. I was like, these guys know how to start a business with pop-up business school. Let's go after companies like that. Whereas Namisha would be like, well, let's keep it open, uh, of which I completely understood that theory because we weren't targeting people for monetary requirements. We were just trying to tell positive stories. And again, I think that's we just jumped around and we were, should we do a podcast? Let's do a podcast. But do we know even what platform to launch on, how we market it? No, of course we didn't. I'm not even sure we had very good microphones. We then went on to YouTube and got into double figures on views and thought, right, this is the way to go. Let's do that. Not giving enough time for ideas to flourish is a huge one because there is a fine line between them carrying on too long when you should quit and and not necessarily quit, maybe pivot. Um, but there's also, you've got to give it time initially. And there were so many occasions where we didn't give anything time initially. Which I think the saying I always have at pop-up is split focus brings split results. And if you try a little bit of this and you try a little bit of that and you try a little bit of this, you'll get a little bit of results in everything, but never actually know which one is the one that you should focus on. And I think doing a decent size experiment and going very focused for a while is the way to know which one to do. And I think you kind of like you were 80% of the way there, Michael, you did the dog outfitters video, you emailed all the dog businesses, but you just didn't focus. You kind of did that when that didn't work and then flicked on to the next thing, but you're kind of there. And I guess if we were to use an analogy If you've got a pot of gold or you're mining for gold and you're there and you've got your axe and you're searching for it, you kind of, you've brought the axe down a few times and gone, nah, it's not over there. And you've gone to another area and hit that a few times and gone, nah, it's not over there. And then gone over to YouTube, hit that a few times and gone, nah, it's not over there. There's that level of focus of, are you going to drive through and actually dig to find the goal? the gold at the end or the goal actually both (laughs) there's a freudian slip that worked maybe it's not freudian freudian's about something else isn't it but anyway you know what i mean it's the focus and the drive and i think you've got the range here and yeah it's deciding on the sweet point because if you send 100 emails but never follow up with a phone call that's not enough 
But if you focused on dog outfitters, you sent emails every week, you rung them all, and you were still on it two years later without ever having got a sale, that's the other end of it. But I think the advice for most entrepreneurs that I'd love to give is most people don't go far enough. They send one email, they make one phone call, they send 100 emails and make 100 phone calls, but they do it in one day and then they stop and they don't push over. It actually takes far more work to get sales than we could possibly imagine. Yeah, if you could see me, Alan, I'm just sort of nodding repeatedly because it's it's that in a nutshell. It really is. I think you have belief in a product and you think everyone else should have that belief as well. But selling comes from emotion and and that belief you have to then instill that belief in somebody else and you can't do that through an email you can't evoke that emotion from an email in a product that you really believe in and so it's very easy to ignore my favorite definition of sales is sales is the transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another and there's not very many emails that i've ever got that have made me enthusiastic <laughs> yeah takes a little bit more most of the time. So we've got, there is no quick fix. We've got, it's the size of the marketing that gets you there. We've got money won't fix everything. We've got not giving it time to flourish. So the lack of focus and pushing through. Was there anything else you pulled out of this? I think my last one I I would say is misleading messages, which again, as I say, they all kind of link, but misleading messages was something that because we weren't focused, because we didn't plan, because we were looking for a quick fix. This is what I mean. They all overlap. But misleading messages was when we went to peak positivity, instead of looking at our options and just taking a moment, just taking a breath and planning, we could have started a new website and it would have been free. And we could have had a platform that could have coped with the amount of video and content that we were putting on there for the three months during the coronavirus uh, peak. Instead, we thought, well, we've got peak video. So we're kind of still doing video. So let's just put everything on there. And then our social media handles got changed to peak positivity. So there was no correlation there. And we were just sort of sending out a lot of misleading messages and probably giving misleading messages to each other and just, yeah, not being focused and, and, when I spoke to Simon for peak positivity, I'll never forget about 10 minutes in, he said, have you focused? And it's just, it just resonates with me because we just didn't have any focus. We were looking for quick fixes, quick results. And actually, if you break it down, if I was a customer, if I was an individual going to peak positivity, then why am I typing in peak video? That's a completely different website, a completely different name. So misleading messages. I think you've got to be on brand throughout, even if that doesn't cost any money. I love that. I love the misleading messages. My favorite example of this is actually comes from a pop-up business school we ran in Poplar in East London. There was a, a wonderful lady there. She had two business ideas and she came to the website that Wednesday, she built the website. She came to show me afterwards and she tried to cram both business ideas into the website. And I looked at it and her two businesses were recruitment. So on one side, it was saying, Do you have a position you need filled? Are you a business looking to hire or are you an employee looking for a job? We can help you with that. On the other side, it said, do you have a Hindu or a bachelorette do? We do packages for Hindus and bachelorette do's and we'll send you the package with all of the plastic items you could imagine in pink and you'll have this relief package for your events. Uh, And I looked at it and I thought to myself, if I'm looking for a Hindu package, 
do I want to be thinking about what job I'm going to take? And if I'm thinking about hiring someone, do I want to see plastic accoutrement? You know where I'm going with this. Uh, I'm not actually going to say it. Everyone in the audience can picture what's happening here. And I'm thinking these things do not belong on the same website. They do not belong together. Where is your focus? What are we going to start with? And it's really interesting. It's so difficult to do. I did exactly the same thing when I started my training business and people said, what type of training you do? I would go, well, I can train anything. Time management, presentation skills, confidence. We can do everything. And I just, I didn't have any focus. And actually it was when I started to focus on presentation skills and becoming famous for one thing that I started to make progress. And I think we all do it. We try and be everything to everyone when we launch a business. Like nothing you've done here, I haven't done myself, Michael. <laughs> and yeah, it's one of those things. Absolutely. And it, it links back to, to the start of our conversation where I was so desperate not to turn anybody away that I could just, you know, I can do any video you want. Animation, I've never done animation in my life, but if someone wanted it and was willing to pay for it, I'd find a way to do it. <laughs> and actually the one, we had one paid customer for Peak Video and it was a, a small healthcare company. And it was nowhere near what we were trying to do. All it was, was filming testimonials for this company. Really straightforward, no creativity involved, just camera lined up with a light and asking them how much they appreciated the healthcare company that had been assisting them. And I walked away having driven 200 miles down to London. And I just thought, oh, this is not what I envisaged. This is not what I set Peak Video up for. But because it was paid and they needed it, I just did it. And actually, in hindsight, there should have been a conversation there which said, that's not really what we do, but try and find a solution. But again, it goes back to not wanting to turn anybody away that I just said yes. So I want to say thank you for this. Like This is really valuable because this is the way we all learn is from the examples and these lessons of there is no quick fix, no marketing, we've not done enough marketing, money won't fix the problems, not giving it time to flourish and the lack of focus and the misleading messages and trying all these different things. You're right, they all do tie into each other, but they are such important lessons for us all to get. And I'd love everyone listening to this podcast who's working for your business right now, you're putting effort, time, energy, you're risking these things on your business to take the lessons Michael has learned and apply them to your business. Are you focused on the one thing? Are you doing enough marketing? Are you getting out there and selling? Are you giving it time to see where it goes? And are you giving one consistent message to one audience? They are fantastic lessons. Michael, where are you going next? What's the plan now? Because you've done a mini experiment. You've got loads of learning. What are you going to apply it to? Well, from this conversation, Alan, I kind of want to go back to peak video. I feel like I'm going to give Namisha a call and see if we can <laughs> reunite the band. Either that or, uh, or something editing-wise. I love editing. That's where time sort of disappears in front of me, just burying my head in, in a variety of different editing software and bringing stuff together. So I'd love to start an editing side hustle. On a completely separate note, I also love maths, which is sort of my geeky nature. The amount of Christmas presents I've had that are spreadsheet-related in some way or another, I've lost count of. 
How do you give a spreadsheet related Christmas present? I need to know because my wife is a spreadsheet fanatic. (laughs) What do you give a spreadsheet fanatic for Christmas? So I have numerous mugs that say I love spreadsheets. I have posters with spreadsheets on them that that take the mickey out of me. I have photos of myself in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, It kind of became my uni niche, if you like. While everyone was going out at Freshers Week, I was putting together a new Excel spreadsheet for one other reason or another. So (laughs) yeah, I love my maths and I love my editing, but I'm not really sure how I bring them together. So all ideas are welcome on that front. But otherwise, I'm just going to go back and and start peak. And that starts with ringing the dog company up. I love that. Excellent. So let us know how it goes with the dog company. Thank you for sharing your lessons on the podcast and being part of it. And one of the things I love most is when you speak to people who are actually out there doing things, because even if it doesn't go right, even if it doesn't work the first time, we should celebrate that you did take action. And that action has created learning, which if you then apply and take the key next step of doing more action, you will make progress and you will eventually get there. It only ends when we give up. So thank you, Michael. Thank you for sharing your ideas and your energy. We really appreciate it. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. It was almost therapeutic to talk through. I feel all refreshed. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know how it goes with the dog company. And to everyone listening to the show, please, if you've tried a mini experiment, if you've had a go and it hasn't worked, make a list of what you've learned, just like Michael has said, make a list of what you've learned and then start something again. If you learn from each mini experiment and fall forwards into the next, you will continue to make progress. Thank you for tuning in to The Rebel Entrepreneur. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.